Hi, folks. My name is Travis Tannis, Executive Vice President of Young Democrats of Connecticut. And today at the table, we have a very wonderful guest representing the 65th House District. Our guest today serves as Deputy Speaker Pro Temper in the Connecticut House of Representatives from the great city of Torrington. Please welcome State Representative Michelle Cook. Hello, Travis. Great to uh, be with you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for joining us. Um, Representative Cook actually served as speaker to open the 2023 Connecticut Legislative Session, so we're grateful to have you join us at the table to kick off 2024. Well, thank you, and congratulations on your great news for kicking off your 2024. <laughs> thank you. I wouldn't be here without you. Um, but in, in addition to being deputy speaker, you serve as a member of the Education, Human Services, Legislative Management, and Public Health Committees, as well as chair of the Women's Caucus and of the Early Childhood Caucus. Did I miss anything? No, I, for clarification, though, I am the co-chair of the Women's mm -hmm. Caucus, um, and that is actually a bipartisan caucus. Um, I also co-chair the Primary Care Medical Home Subcommittee. So, Very And busy. I'm on the EMS <laughs> caucus as well. Well, before we dig into the policies and issues and the committees that you're on, can you explain the difference between the sessions? Uh, I... I I liken them to a marathon and a sprint. So the um, the two-year biennial legislative session, which was last year, um, is the January to June legislative session. And that is your biennial budget. So your two-year biennial budget year. And that's, the, that's also the legislative session where individual legislators can submit their own personal legislation as well as it being a much longer session process um, to get more work done. And that's primarily because it's a budget. That also comes on the heels of an election year. So we are elected in November, we get sworn in in January, then we kick off that long six month session. This one that we're in right now is the shorter sprint-like session because everybody tries to get just as much done in the short session as the long session. Um, the difference being that we don't put in individual pieces of legislation that is done for a committee process, not individual process. And so we can submit things, but they have to go through the committee and then the committee can either choose to or not to raise the concepts that we have been um, proposing. This is also non-budgetary year, but a budget budgetary um, kind of like a reconciliation year. So if things have gone up, things have gone down if there's a little bit more money to spend, if things that we have to allocate from last year to this year. Um, so I call this the fixing session. Um, and then what ends up happening is we're done May 4th this year. So we started February 7th, we're done May 4th. Um, and from there, then it is another election season. So it's just a rapid vicious cycle of every two years, um, we are doing the same thing, just different faces, sometimes different topics in a different year. Well, thank you for the explanation. I don't think many people really understand the whole, um, I believe it's called bicameral process. It is. <laughs> Pulling out my history knowledge there. <laughs> um, so I thank you for explaining that. Is there anything from last session you would like to highlight? You know, last session was actually a very good session. Um, we were still sitting on the heels of some good ARPA dollars. And so financially putting our fiscal guardrails in place a few years back, uh, we were able to pass a bipartisan budget. Now, that doesn't mean that every Democrat and every Republican voted for the budget. 
So if you want to know how your individual legislator voted, please go check their voting record. Everything that we do is very public knowledge. And every vote that we take, every meeting we attend, that is all um, documented very well. So we did a bipartisan budget. And we have found ourselves in a very good fiscal place. So I'm proud of that. And that comes, like I said, on the heels of the fiscal parameters that we put into place a few years back, some spending caps and the like, what falls under each area. You know, we've also been able to do some incredible things for educational cost sharing dollars with um, work of my good co-chair or my go co-colleague and chair of the education committee, Jeff Curry, who has been passionate on resolving the educational cost sharing or ECS um, debacle that we've had here in the state of Connecticut. And I don't think that there's one district in our entire state that can say that they're happy with the way that the ECS money has been distributed. So we were able to do that with Jeff's leadership. We have more to do in that regard. We've been able to make some strides in the early childhood arena, but nowhere near what we need to do. We've made some strides in protecting our elderly and nursing homes and, and some things like that and veterans. But in the big scheme of things, it's really about the bipartisan budget that took us to a something that we should all be extremely proud of. But there again, the work is never done and there's so much more that we need to continue to do. And even the good strides that we've made in the, you know, the groundbreaking legislation on the things that I had mentioned doesn't mean that they're not perfect. We have to go back and continue to work on them. And of course, that's what this session is definitely for. So are there issues and policies that you're more focused on um, following into the session? So for me, I'm kind of at the bookends of life when it comes to policy decisions. I'm really focusing on early childhood education from birth to five, because that's really the way that our financial structure is set up. We don't look at educating a child from birth to, to grade 12. We look at them from birth to five. That would fall under the early childhood office. Then we look at grades, you know, kindergarten to 12th grade, which would be the educational committee. Then you have anything above that, which falls under higher ed. So it's kind of like breaking up the body for health insurance. We've really broken up the system for education. But so my bookend on this side is really about early childhood education. What does that look like? Really funding that in an extremely proper and appropriate manner. We have folks that are developing the, the most brightest minds at the earliest of their foundational educational experience, but we don't pay them accordingly. We need to do that. Um, and then let's talk about the other bookend of life, and that would be our elderly and aging population, or I would say more mature population. Um, you know, both, both populations have similarities. You know, sometimes they find it very difficult to speak for themselves on both spectrums of that. And you have elderly folks that might need to be in a nursing home or choose to live in a nursing home or have home health care. They're afraid of retaliation to speak up, but they too deserve the appropriate care because if it weren't for them, there wouldn't be us. So I really want to hold those nursing homes accountable, making sure that they're doing what we've put into place over the past several years. That would be staffing ratios and the like. But at the same time, that also means paying the, those CNAs and those caregivers a livable wage, not a minimum wage, but a livable wage. And that is the exact same for our early child care providers as well, because they all deserve a livable wage. 
I think because of individuals like yourself and so many others in the legislature, um, Connecticut is leading the charge in so many progressive policies that you've mentioned and working on so many important issues. I believe so many young Democrats are only informed about the presidential or even maybe only the congressional level that they don't know enough to pay attention to the state level. And I think those are the policies and issues that impact us more directly. And the individuals that we put into office at this level are the individuals that we are going to more than likely know more personally. And that leads into my next section. As I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't be in the position I am today if it weren't for you. <laughs> You've given individuals like myself and so many others um, opportunities to work on your campaign, volunteer for you, get involved in the community and learn firsthand what it's like to be an elected official. Um, this year is not only a presidential election year, but the entire CGA is also up for re-election. You were first elected in 2008 and are currently serving in your eighth term in office. So talking about your campaigning and allowing opportunities for young Democrats to get involved and gain experience, have you announced your decision for this coming election? I actually have. Um, I have filed my papers and my intent for candidacy. So I am, I'm in the process of, of that. And I will be running for that ninth term. Um, and I've always said that if I felt that I was stagnant and I wasn't able to make effective policy decisions, I wasn't giving it my all. Um, I would bail out before somebody bailed me out. And I really feel that we still have so much to do. Um, I'm not comfortable with the way that we have not stopped, but the things that we still need to do for the the bookends, as you will, and then so much more in between. You know, and if we could talk all day for all of the different things that I have my hands in and the things that really matter to me and to everybody in my community. But at the end of the day, it's about the heart and the passion. And I've done this full time and I continue to do it that way. And also to be able to volunteer and, and give back to my community and the varieties of different ways that I do. But it's also about folks like you um, and the insurmountable amount of people that we come in contact with that we don't change their lives, but they change ours. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I want people to know that they, they have somebody that they can call if they need something. And it's, it's interesting, the, the calls that you get and the things that people need. And I think because I've been in this community now for 30 years, we've raised our four children in this community. My husband and I live right above the high school, right below Torringford Elementary School. Our kids were educated in this, this town. Um, I see great potential here and I want to be a part of that. And again, I can't say enough what an amazing person and elected official that you are. I could talk all day <laughs> about it. Um, but what advice would you give to someone who's interested in running for office? So, you know, Travis, you know me well enough to know that I'm so not a party politic kind of a person, right? This is not about Republicans and Democrats. This is about engagement. Um, it's about democracy. And the absolute most important thing that you can do is get involved in the civic process in your community. Um, so get involved, find out who people are, volunteer. And if you don't want to volunteer on a political level, volunteer on any nonprofit organization, anywhere, get involved in your community. And what that does is that makes you recognize what is so important about your community, who your community members are, and what you can do to make it a better place. And for me, it's 
I never thought about running for office. They came looking for me. I did not go looking for them. And it was really about my community involvement that had former representative, representative Roberta Willis say to me when we were serving on the Torrington Early Childhood Collaborative together, hey, we're looking for somebody to run for office. I think you would be great. And I remember the conversation in my head. I remember it with her. And I was like, I hate politics. Um, I don't like the infighting. I don't like anything about that. I, I just, it just wasn't that. I've always done my civic duty. I've always gone to the polls. My husband held office, but I just wasn't raised in a family that was overly civic minded. They too voted and did all their thing. My father's a veteran, my grandfather's and all the like, but it just wasn't how I was raised was to be overly involved. And when I was asked to run, I, I went back home and I gave it some thought. I'm like, you know what, what do I have to lose? This could be a very interesting adventure um, and a journey. And, and one of my dearest friends, Trisha Chadwick and I put our children in school and we put her youngest daughter in a stroller and we started going door to door. And it was such a life-changing event for me. And getting to know people that I had never met, letting having people feel that they're being heard and letting me hear them to see what their concerns are. Um, just taking the time to knock on somebody's door and having people say, I've lived here for 30 or 40 years and nobody's ever knocked on my door. Um, I would have never given that a lot of thought before I decided to run for office. Um, and it, again, it was just two moms and then the support of family and friends that got me here. And anybody can be here if you have the passion and the drive to make a change. I think the grassroots level of everything, like I was saying before, is so important, especially in the current um, political landscape. Um, some of my favorite memories, especially, are when we were volunteering with um, Karen Thomas at Friendly Hands Food and Bake. Um, and she had the food distributions during the height of the pandemic. And I think that was another way where I personally learned there's another way to help out the community and get involved um, politically without it being phone banking, door knocking, or even just lobbying on an issue. I think so much experience and um, human contact and interaction just came out of community organizing issues like that. Well, you know, that, that makes a good point, right? So we've seen, we've seen our country and our communities go through something that we probably never thought that we would ever. And I pray that we never see it again. Um, but when we were doing the farm to family boxes that were really keeping farmers in business because the pandemic, they weren't able to do what they were traditionally doing, but they were still farming. But then they had all of this, you know, they had all this produce and, you know, dairy and you fill in the blank and they needed some place for it to go. And so then our federal government got involved and then partnered with them. And then that trickled down to us and gave us the opportunity to do that. And, you know, it really was a sense of going door to door, because if you remember, right, not only were we every week or two doing large, you know, four or five, 600 car distributions of food boxes, but we were putting food in my car and, and going door to door right? And we were doing that. And where did we start? We started with the seniors. And we knew that seniors were afraid to come out. They were in fear for their health. Of, and that makes complete sense. Um, and so the things that they needed 
we were able to give them and some things that, you know, some things that they were looking for that worked in our boxes that we were able to fill in those, you know, fill in for them. Hey, I need masks. I need gloves. Um, and I go back and I think about that in as, as full of turmoil as our country and our community was, the amount of friends that we made, right? And the amount of people that we met. Um, and I think for both of us and so many others, I think it changed our lives. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. I think there's so many ways for young Democrats to get involved and give back to their community and help out with people in our community that are the highest risk populations and that covers so many different issues and topics, but those individuals are a good place to start on giving back to the community and then working the way up from there on volunteering on campaigns or finding out what issues legislators are championing or what events they're organizing and attending those. And that's the first step in getting involved. Um, me personally, that's how I got involved, and I know that's how many so so many of my peers and colleagues also got involved in politics. Nope, that's a hundred percent accurate. And you know, there's no age to involvement, right? So, and there's no limit to involvement. If somebody wasn't, you know, wasn't comfortable going door to door, they can write postcards. If somebody's not comfortable um, campaigning, to your point, they could go volunteer. Um, at a nonprofit group, whether it be a food bank or a soup kitchen or the senior center, um, the hospital, the Warner Theater. I mean, so many different ways that you can get involved. But all of those involvements really come back down to funding and where those funding streams are and how, to, how are those organizations able to survive. So to your point, um, education is key, right? Um, no know where your legislators are, know what they're doing, know what they're not doing, and hold them accountable. Couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to promote before we end today, such as organizations, legislations, policies, issues important to you? So I think that we pretty much covered the issues that are important to me. It's, it's so many things, right? And my focus, when, when you're in office, you're expected to know a lot of things about a lot of things. <laughs> and um, I never, I never thought that the, the circumference of information that comes into your head is as much as it comes into your head. But what I would say to, to your question about what I think people should know the most important thing that we can do as a citizen is to get involved and don't believe everything that you read, because I, I promise you that social media is just as much good as it is evil. So take a step back from that social media wealth of information that you're receiving and get to know people and get to know them personally. Every legislator in your state house, every legislator in your local town, um, and every legislator that represents you at the federal level has contact information, websites, phone numbers. Do the research. Know who you're supporting and know why you're supporting them. And every election is a vitally important election. 
but our country is is going through a lot of changes from top to bottom and left to right. We have men and women that are fighting to keep us safe and make sure that we have the liberties and freedoms that we have. Um, we need to fund them appropriately. We have men and women in blue that protect us each and every day. They put their lives on the line to ensure that we're safe and we're healthy. And that if our house is on fire, that we can run out and they can run in and protect it. Um, you know, our, our police officers that are ensuring that our streets are safe. We also need to be respectful of all of that. And I think that when we're moving forward during this election season, more so than any other election season, respect is the most important thing that we need to keep on the forefront. We might not all agree on everything. We might not all agree on anything. But the one thing that we should agree on is to be respectful. Because tomorrow I'm going to wake up and my neighbors are going to still be my neighbors. The people that I run into in the grocery store are still going to be the people that I run into in the grocery store. And recognize that your communities are small. And instead of accusing somebody of something, ask the question. You know, the old wise saying, go to the horse's mouth. Go to the horse's mouth. Ask them. No, you're right. You might not be able to ask the presidential candidates what exactly that they believe. But there is somebody out there that might be able to give you the answer. So for me, policy is very important. It starts local and it just goes from there. But the respect for each other is really what we have to keep on the forefront, especially this election season, because we already know how, what's the word I'm looking, contentious that it's going to be, you know, and you don't have to pick a party. You don't, but pick involvement, pick honest and truthful information and, and find somebody that you can support because together we need to continue to make our country moving in a good place. Where can people find some more information about you or connect with you further? So I have Facebook pages for both my state page and my campaign page and my personal page. Um, so I'm Michelle L. Cook or State Representative Michelle Cook. So you can search for any of those. Um, I'm not a huge social media person, quite frankly, but so I am not a post every day kind of a thing. Um, if you wanna know what we're doing legislatively, you can go to our, our website. Um, and, but you can reach me through michelle.cook at cga.ct.gov. So the CGA is Connecticut General Assembly.ct for Connecticut.gov. Um, and it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E dot C-O-O-K. Um, my office phone number is 860-240-8547. So we're easy to find. And you know, don't hesitate to reach out. If you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. Um, if it's a campaign related question and you do email me at work, I will send that somewhere else and have to contact you in a different manner um, because we do have state ethic laws in place. And so I wanna make sure that I follow them. That's why I have three different pages because I have a state page, a campaign page and a personal page. Um, some of the things overlap, but I wanna make sure that I'm trying to do it as upfront and honest as possible to ensure that I don't get in trouble with the ethics groups.
Well, I will personally say her campaign page has amazing graphics and content. I just, you yes, know, whoever does. does it for you, I just, I applaud them, you know? I do too. They do an amazing, amazing job. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michelle. I loved having you today and I couldn't think of anyone else to start session off with. Thank you so much. Um, and for those of you watching, feel free to subscribe, share this content, and you can follow us on any platform that you want to watch or listen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.